0: Hello, I'm Mr McCambly. Welcome to our first ever history podcast and thank you for joining us. In 1991, 74 years of communist rule in Russia came to an end when the Soviet Union collapsed. The significance of the collapse has continued to reverberate through the years with President Vladimir Putin calling it the worst event of the 20th century. Joining me to talk about the causes of the collapse are year 12. Well, if we could start with you, what was the Soviet Union? Tell us a little bit about the background to it. Well, in a nutshell,
1: the Soviet Union Socialist Republic was the first country to form a government based on the system known as communism. It only existed from 1922 to 1991. The Soviet Union was made up of 15 countries, including Russia, Ukraine, and the Baltic States. The provision of the Soviet Union without the leading force of the Soviet society was the Communist Party. The Communist Party uses Marxism and Leninism to guide the development of society, direct domestic and foreign policies, and plan the struggle for communism, and all the party organizations must
0: follow the constitution of the USSR. Then, in 1985, Mikhail Gorbachev was appointed General Secretary of the Communist Party, of the Soviet Union. What was the Thinking behind giving the job to him, Connor? Well, the thinking behind
1: appointing Gorbachev as General Secretary was that it would allow the party to move away from the traditional gerontocracy of the Brezhnev era while ensuring that the party maintained control over the USSR.
0: Thanks for that, Connor. I know that um, historians are actually in somewhat disagreement about the extent to which uh, the Soviet Union was on the verge of collapse by 1985. Uh, Jody, if we could hear from you, what's your view about the state of the Soviet Union in, in 1985? Was it on the verge of collapse?
2: I would say so. I think at that time, a lot of problems that were already in motion were coming to the forefront at this time. There were a lot of Economic issues with over-reliance on Western government buying grain from them. In general, the economy was quite dysfunctional because Russia couldn't even provide food for itself. As a lot of economic stagnation, as well as social malaise among the people, so I think a lot of problems were already coming to light at this time, even before Gorbachev actually took control.
0: And that kind of makes sense as to why Gorbachev might have been appointed in '85. Look, are all historians in agreement with this?
2: Um, neither or not.
3: I personally disagree. I believe there wasn't much indication of an imminent collapse. USSR had always had severe problems since its founding in all aspects of the country, and this economic downturn wasn't anything new for the country, that's just another problem that people had to deal with, and harsh repression and fear installed in the people by the regime meant that unless there was serious change, then um, the opposition organisation required for a country to collapse was not present and strong enough to, for a full disintegration of the country.
0: Thanks, Luke. So here we are in 1985, and Mikhail Gorbachev is the General Secretary of the Communist Party, and he embarks upon an ambitious reform programme called Perestroika. What are the key things that people should know about perestroika?
4: So, perestroika in Russian literally means restructuring. And as the name implies, the policy sought to restructure and transform the decrepit Soviet economy. When Gorbachev came to power, the Soviet economy was in a severe state of inertia. By 1980, annual growth had dropped to 0.6%, which, interestingly, is more than Britain this year, which hit 0.3% in March, although the Tories have yet to enact their own perestroika. Regardless, perestroika was launched as a radical new approach to galvanise the economy before it succumbed to stagnation. So the aim of Perestroika was to promote growth, incentivise the disillusioned Soviet people and overcome the conservative element of Gosplan. The overarching goal was partial market reform with the end result of a mixed economy, introducing capitalist elements of trade and industry with the communist state being at the heart of it. To achieve this, several measures were enacted such as decentralising decision-making within a state-owned economy, legitimising the unplanned economy and facilitating trade and investment. Significant reform policies include the law and cooperatives which gave people the right to set up large-scale private companies and the encouragement of joint ventures which allowed foreign firms to establish businesses in partnership with the state. Uh, Most memorably, this law brought McDonald's to Red Square in 1990. But irrespective of the success of Perestroika, it had hugely ambitious aims of permanently merging capitalist elements with the Soviet command economy. This is a chasmic departure from Soviet economic history and a leap into a modern future. Gorbachev was fundamentally and indelibly transforming the Soviet system, arguably drawing upon the Russian revolutionary spirit of old.
0: Thanks for that Jess. Uh, I think only perhaps two of us uh, around this table might recall the excitement of Russians queuing in Red Square uh, at the time for their first Big Macs and so on. I think there was some disappointment that uh, Burger King uh, hadn't opened at the time as many Russians would have preferred. The whopper. Um, Now, a phrase that also was associated with Gorbachev's reform is Glasnost, and and our viewers may have heard both phrases alongside Perestroika. But what's the difference? Tell me, uh, Ruby, between Glasnost and Perestroika.
5: Whilst Perestroika was introduced to try and boost the Soviet economy, Glasnost, or like more known as openness was introduced as a political endeavor and it allowed for the freedom of expression in the USSR to loosen by loosening state control on the radio, the press, television, other things such as that. Um, but Gorbachev believed that by informing the soviet people about the true conditions of their society allowing them to criticize it openly and its economic failures He would win their support in perestroika and his other economic endeavors against Gosplan.
0: So these were incredible departures as far as my understanding is for what had previously been allowed in the soviet union Here we have people enjoying a certain level of freedom that was almost unprecedented in soviet history. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, so what was the impact of perestroika and glasnost Then on the people we've we've hinted at that Rowan if you could tell us about the impact on the people of perestroika well the first of the three stages focused on political reform such as glasnost this
6: was to create more openness in the USSR giving it greater freedom of speech to the people along with this economic reforms were introduced in the hopes of development in the soviet union the second stage of perestroika focused on the decentralization where the power went from the central government to the local authority this Enable um, the people to have more freedom and with less control. Gorbachev also introduced anti corruption measures. This led to an increase in political and social unrest. Finally, um, the third introduced um, in 1989 on democratization and a shift towards a market economy. This introduced multi candidate elections and the establishment of a new constitution that guaranteed for the people greater political freedom and human rights. Along with this, it introduced Economic liberalisation with privatisation of many state owned enterprises. However, these reforms led to economic inequality and social unrest as many of the people struggled to adapt to the realities of the new economy.
0: Thank you, Rowan. Did Glasnost unfold alongside Perestroika? What were the kind of impacts, Aaron, of Glasnost?
7: (coughs) Well, Glasnost, um, the Russian translation for openness, kind of involved Gorbachev lifting restrictions on information and allowing for more debate in the media. And um, the liberalisation of the media, which took place from 1986 to 1988, was the first step to Glasnost. It allowed for greater freedom of expression for the Soviet people, and it allowed for the discussion of political and social issues. Um, This led to greater review of the Soviet Union's history, and particularly recognising the oppression people faced under Stalin. Um, The people began to realise how poorly they'd been treated, compared to those living in the West, and people questioned the foundations of the communist system which led to groups in the Soviet republics demanding independence from the USSR, which is known as resurgent nationalism. The second step to glasnost was the beginning of democratisation, as Rowan said, from 1988 to 1990. The 19th party conference of 1988 embraced the introduction of democracy. And from 1989, Soviet citizens had the right to vote for Communist Party candidates as well as independent candidates. Gorbachev hoped that the Soviet people would back radical candidates in elections and encourage further reform. However, the March-April elections in 1989 led to extreme support for radicals such as Yeltsin, who won 89% of the vote in Moscow and it reduced the influence of the Communist Party, meanwhile increasing the authority of anti-party and nationalist groups.
0: Thanks, Aaron. That's a really fascinating answer. And um, My initial understanding would have been that with Perestroika and Glasnost, surely the Soviet people would have been really happy, happy that under Perestroika they can buy a McDonald's and a Big Mac and so on in Red Square, and in Glasnost, happy that there's a, a level of freedom that one can enjoy that, that simply hadn't been in Soviet history to that point. What was the impact though of all these developments on government Aaron and Rowan seem to, to suggest that it wasn't quite as rosy as Gorbachev might have hoped
1: No, I don't think it was, I think obviously the liberalisation of like political kind of just generalness in the Soviet Union kind of did in- introduce that kind of free choice and it kind of made the Soviet Union moral, it did introduce the introduction of choice and variation of view and it therefore for posed like an oppositional aspect and essentially challenged the party these were attempts to reconfigure the organisational structure of the government and to introduce the best of both worlds from both capital and communist economies, but failed due to the continuity of its problems, the failure to address its negatives and to rectify them.
0: I'd heard that the lo- local government officials in, in Leningrad ha- had buried sausages. What, what on earth was that about?
4: I think it's sort of reminiscent of the kind of panic we saw over lockdown that, like, you know, there's shortages and so everyone just goes into sort of panic mode. And I guess that shows us the privileges system that existed in Russia, t- especially people associated with the party, that they were able to hoard this amount of food. And it just shows a sort of widespread panic that I think was endemic in, in the Soviet Union at that time.
0: Yeah, thanks for that. So I, I get an impression of things somehow unraveling right before the Soviet government, especially Gorbachev's eyes, if you like. And as Aaron already mentioned, this the, the factor of resurgent nationalism. The Soviet Union was made up of 15 soviet republics and they play a a huge part in the collapse of the soviet union so i think it's important to take a step back again and get a brief history of those soviet republics especially how they felt about the soviet union before 1985 so as you previously mentioned there were 15 republics that made up the ussr
8: and with many uh, multi-country empires there's um in like countries usually bicker or have Difficulties with the leading organisation. The most prominent of these like offended countries, if you will, um, I would probably say the Satellite States. Yeah, so the Satellite States, which were brought in between 1945 and forty-nine, as a part of Stalin's Warsaw Pact, which was a collective defence treaty established by the Soviet Union, seven, seven other Soviet satellite states in Central and Eastern Europe. These included Albania, Bulgaria, Czechoslovakia, East Germany, Hungary, Poland, and Romania. However, Albania withdrew in 1968. But moreover, a prominent adversary to the USSR's rule would be Ukraine. Um, and I think just through, through the centuries of just fighting between these countries and just general conflict, there's obviously history there. But more specifically, during Stalin's rule, the Holodomor, which was government-imposed famine upon Ukraine, initiated due to the feeling that that Ukraine's in cultural autonomy uh, felt threatening to the USSR. So Stalin took measures to destroy the Ukrainian peasantry and the Ukrainian intellectual and cultural elites to prevent them from seeking independence for Ukraine. However, they're obviously doing within an empire of that size There are obviously more and more problems, such as within the Baltic states, which were independent between the World Wars and in June 1940, they were annexed by the Kremlin, and then officially came under Soviet control in 1945. Finally, another region, the Caucasus, which was a culturally complex and geographically diverse area containing Georgia, Azerbaijan, Armenia, and the Russian Federation. Now, the the Caucasus is specifically, especially historically relevant because of past conflicts in, such as the Russian conquest of Caucasus, which mainly occurred between the 1800s and 1864 where the Russian Empire sought to control the region between the
0: Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. Thanks, Sam. What you do there brilliantly is you describe a Soviet Union, which is a massive, massive landmass that any government would have struggled to contain. It's quite easy to forget that the Soviet Union was much more than Russia. And and Ukraine, as you rightly point out, is so key to the story of the Soviet Union all the way back to Holodomor, through Chernobyl in nineteen. 19- 1985, for example, as well. So are we really talking here about a story of oppression? Is this a story in which the the 15 republics, and I would include Russia there, are, are forced to be a part of this Soviet Union?
2: Yes, I would definitely argue so. It's consistently throughout the USSR's history, the republics have been historically used as a means to an end, as you and Sam had mentioned already, Holodomor under Stalin I think is very emblematic of this, because at that time, Stalin was going for rapid industrialization and the grain that was stolen from Ukrainian people was what fueled that. And at the same time, like six million people died of starvation due to this famine that Stalin made. And whilst that was going on, the Soviet Union was also sending people to Ukraine in an attempt to dilute the Ukrainian national identity. At that time, the fact that Ukraine had its own separate identity from the Soviet Union was a massive threat to the ideology of the USSR as a whole. And you can see that later on with the Hungarian uprising in 1956 and Prague Spring in 1968 where, consistently over and over again, any kind of movement towards gaining any kind of sovereignty or control for themselves is seen as a significant threat to the government.
0: Thanks for that. You you describe so vividly these incidences that the peoples of the Soviet Union have to live through. They become part of the memory of their environment passed on from children to to their their own children and grandchildren. Over time, they're not forgotten. And in a sense, it seems to me that the Soviet Union has no choice but to keep together the republics, except through fear. So how did it come back? If the Soviet Union had been kept together for so many decades, what's involved in the resurgence of nationalism in, in the 1980s?
4: Well, I agree with Jody that there is clearly a history of nationalism being suppressed, evident in the Stalin era. However, I believe Glasnost turns to suppress nationalism into resurgent nationalism purely because of Glasnost's encouragement of open conversation, which exposed the republics to the fact that their social, political and economic standards were always worse than the West's. Take Chernobyl, for example, 1986, which emphasised the lack of care the Soviet Union had around the republics, and created stronger Ukrainian identity as Ukrainians united with the feeling of inadequate support, something they all had in common from the Soviet Union. This shows the historic theme of pushing Russian's pro- Russia's progress at the expense of the republics.
0: Thank you for that. That's extremely vivid and actually somewhat bleak because by the situation then with resurgent nationalism, Perestroika forcing government officials to hide sausages as we mentioned before beneath the ground for their own benefit and glasnost given a, an, an unprecedented level of freedom some might say that by the summer of 1991 a pretty bleak picture exists in terms of the future of the soviet union is it is looking as bleak as i have suggested we're going to open this one out here
7: I'd argue that it wasn't necessarily as bleak as suggested because Gorbachev introduced the New Union Treaty kind of in an, in an attempt to kind of salvage the USSR and reform the Soviet Union. The treaty agreed that jurisdiction would be returned to the republics and that their sovereignty would be recognized whilst allowing for the Soviet Union to still exist, uniting the republics together. And I think it was a good compromise and I think that this is clear because there was a referendum that involved uh, 9 out of the 15 republics showing that 76% of those present supported the new union treaty. I think the new union treaty kind of shined hope and gave conviction that the USSR would not collapse. And by August 1991, eight of the nine republics approved the draft of the new treaty. I think Gorbachev made good compromises, and I think there was hope that the USSR could still continue.
0: I mean, I can imagine a sort of half-empty, half-full reaction to the new union treaty. On the other hand, it does suggest that perhaps there was more tying some people in the Soviet Union together than the mere suggestion of fear, as we have previously put it out here. on today's discussion so far. How do we um, rate the reaction of Gorbachev to the situation? Some extracts and historians, as we know, often refer to him as weak. How had Gorbachev reacted?
4: Well, building on from what Erin was saying about the New Union Treaty, I think there's something quite admirable about how uh, Gorbachev reacted to the situation without compromising his aims and his ethos as leader. Uh, for Gorbachev, creating a more moral Soviet Union was an important thing and the relinquishing of you know, historic Soviet violence. So I think the New Union Treaty is, uh, is evidence of this. I mean, take any other Soviet leader. I think that could have led to, you know, violence in the republics, and we've seen it in Hungary. I think Jody mentioned uh, the Prague Spring, just the use of the military to suppress protest. So I think, you know, there's a level of integrity there in a diplomatic response to to resurgent nationalism. However, this, there's a thorn in the side of this interpretation, which is the violence in Lithuania and in Tbilisi. However, I'm not sure that that came directly from Gorbachev. I'm not sure that's Gorbachev's failings as a leader. I I think that's more of a systemic problem a disconnect between the soviet military i i think
0: uh, they refer to tbilisi syndrome yes a phrase which is often in use today what does that refer to
4: well the disconnect between the soviet military and the government like a fundamental ignorance between them if that makes sense
0: Yeah, this idea that the mechanisms of communication have broken down, leaving a government that uh, is, to some extent, in paralysis, is one reading of the Gorbachev situation in August 1991. But as you and Aaron have said, there's another way to look at it. The new Union Treaty was being negotiated, yet just four months later, the Soviet Union has collapsed. So what is the difference between those two things? Some people would point to the coup by the Communist Party, party in August 1991. Gorbachev is, as I believe, in his DACA, enjoying his summer holidays, and then he is placed under house arrest. State media presents him as being too ill to continue in government. What's the Communist Party up to at this point, Charlotte?
9: I think essentially this is kind of the hardliners' final and like desperate attempt to like prevent the breakup of the USSR. So at this point, they've like they formed this emergency committee who um, wanted to arrest Yeltsin and all those who kind of like suppressing anyone else who was favoring Russian nationalism over that of like the Soviets. So ultimately, they were just undermining Gorbachev and his authority and dedication to compromise, such as like granting freedoms to a republic.
0: It seems a little a bit like, a, a, as you put it, a sort of act of desperation. What's the impact of the coup? Well, I think the first impact of the coup is that. It makes clear to the Soviet people
1: that traditional is, is still very much alive within the Communist Party. and They are still very much prepared to just go back to the basic principles of communism and use force if necessary to maintain the USSR, as Charlotte mentioned, I think. Another impact was that it greatly enhanced the reputation of Boris Yeltsin. It presented him as a charismatic leader, and the leader that an independent Russia needed, which greatly strengthened his nationalist view.
0: Yes, I believe that there are, there are um, famous images at that time of, of Yeltsin actually clambering on top of a, of a Soviet tank. How do you think those would have went down with the people at the time? I think it would have shown the clear difference
1: to people between Boris Yeltsin, who appears this charismatic leader, almost ready to die for his country and for Russian nationalism, compared to Mikhail Gorbachev, who's just been placed on the house Arrest, and it's nowhere near um, Moscow when these events take place.
0: And yet, only a few months earlier, those responsible for the coup would have been the ones who would have expected to receive the loyalty and admiration of the Soviet people without question. So one can really get a sense of the Soviet Union unraveling rather quickly now. So it it had lasted only another four months after the coup of August 1991 and ever since then Gorbachev has come under a a great deal of of criticism and shared quite a lot of, of the blame for the collapse of the Soviet Union. Do we think Gorbachev deserves a great deal of this blame.
5: I don't think that Gorbachev deserves a great deal of the blame. I think that his policies that he introduced, like Glasnost and Perestroika, just almost show to light, like bring to light the systemic issues that the Soviet Union has already been dealing with, like the Soviet Union is almost like a pot, it's boiling and that Gorbachev almost turns up that heat with his policies and then it kind of explodes. But it's not his fault that that happens. It's the fault of the Soviet Union at its beginning that didn't that ends up making it what it is in the end.
0: How about I put it out there uh, to quote several of the um, uh, historians that we've come across that the pace and scope of Gorbachev's reforms is at fault here. He simply tried to do too much in too short a space of time, leading to the unravelling of the Soviet Union. Does anyone have sympathy with that kind of view and would therefore be more critical? of Gorbachev.
2: I think there is like a lot of merit to the kind of ideas that Gorbachev was putting out there, things like glasnost and liberalizing the media, obviously things that should be like basic human rights for people, but uh, there were just issues with the way that they were implemented, things like perestroika which didn't seem to understand the fact that there was a social contract between the government and the people in which they needed some kind of stability them to be able to trust the government yeah and as soon as something like market reform jeopardized that obviously they'd stop trusting the government
0: yeah i mean at the end of the day people can only go by the quality of their own lives and living standards it's all very well to say that gorbachev is trying to bring about a more moral soviet union when you don't have enough food to feed your family essentially it may be one thing to congratulate gorbachev for bringing about or at least attempting to bring about a more moral soviet Union. But on the other hand, one cannot expect the people to support this endeavour when they themselves are not able to feed themselves or their families. Would anyone (laughs) care to be more critical of Gorbachev or can understand why the people would be critical of him?
4: I think there's something to be said about perhaps a degree of, I don't want to say incompetence because that sounds too harsh, but a lack of judicious knowledge about the pace and scope of reform, as you said earlier, um, but I don't think that Gorbachev is is solely to blame here. As um, I mean, I think democratization is quite a noble cause. Yeah, I don't think that you know he's the prior. I think
0: this You talk about pace and scope of of reform, and there are other parts of, of the communist world that were facing similar problems. I'm thinking of China here and we're uh, fortunate enough to be joined by Miss Joseph who studied history at the University of Lancaster, uh, specialising in Tsarist and revolutionary Russia and she now teaches the history of China in the Mao period at high School. Miss Joseph, thank you for joining us. What is your view about those that would make comparisons with China at this time?
9: Well, I think, first of all, to start, you were perfectly correct in saying there are huge similarities between the two situations. You've got the Soviet Union, where the economy can appear to be close to collapse, and in China, following the Cultural Revolution, where the economy is in a dire situation, perhaps underestimating that situation. Deng Xiaoping's is very different in his approach to Gorbachev. It is all about the economy for him. He has a sort of three-pronged approach to the economy, uh, we're going to lead China out of a planned economy, give people more freedom within it. His open-door policy of encouraging foreign investment, foreign technology to build up the Chinese economy and introducing the massive population of China to the global market to, to get them involved in the capitalist viewpoint. And his economic reforms have generally seemed to be very successful Some people said Gorbachev should have followed his lead. Perhaps he tried, perhaps the situations were different. The big difference between the situation in Russia and China is that Deng Xiaoping is not going to relinquish any control, allow any freedom politically. He believes that the CCP... Communist Party in China, has to have total control and he will not relinquish that. His General Secretary, Zhao Xizhang, is kicked out of the party and imprisoned because he begins to mute maybe a little bit more freedom for the people, a bit more progressive idea. He's gone. Uh, Many people will be familiar with the Tiananmen Square incident where he uses the tanks to put down troops. And In China, and and even today in China, that is a non-negotiable. People cannot have that political freedom that that Gorbachev muted and and allowed within the Soviet Union. Now, from the Communist Party perspective in China, that's been a success. They are now moving towards, if they're not already being the world's leading economy, and the Communist Party is still very much in control of China. So they would argue that their method is right and they've been quite disparaging of Gorbachev and, and what he did um, as, in the Soviet as Mr Putin,
0: Putin is as well uh, as,
9: as Mr Putin yeah so the, the similarities are there but their approach is different and and if you are the Communist Party in China you, you see yourself as being successful
0: I'm wondering if we could just continue on this theme a little We have been talking about violence and as being a factor that allowed the soviet union especially those republics to remain an essential part of the soviet dynamic all over those decades and then keeping the soviet union together there are examples of of violence state violence um we can talk about the different causes and so on being met out to protesters in lithuania for example in the exact same way that that took place in Tiananmen. now in china now the scale might be different but I wonder if, if it comes down to the difference between them is guilt in the sense that China suffers no guilt whatsoever about the steps it has to take, whereas the Soviet Union seems absolutely paralysed as to how to explain what happened in Lithuania, how to respond to what happened in Lithuania, a sign of the paralysis of the state.
2: Yeah, I think that is very much true. I think the political reforms are a very big factor in the difference between Uh, Chinese communism and Russian communism, as you were saying, is very difficult to justify the violence that went on in Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Georgia, Lithuania, and especially if you're Gorbachev and you're trying to push towards this kind of new form of a more moral Soviet Union, you can't justify that kind of violence towards protesters. In comparison in China, if you go to people in mainland China and ask them about Tiananmen Square, show them Tankman, that very famous photo, that yeah. is a symbol of uh, disagreement with the government, they won't recognise it. They genuinely, that information is completely hidden from them, and they have no idea, and I think that is... Something that's so different. If you're advocating for liberalisation of media, everyone knows what you've done and there is very very little leeway to try and argue that what you're doing is ethical when you're responsible for murdering people. And not
0: only did Gorbachev bring about liberalisation of the media in the hope, to a somewhat vain extent, that they would support Perestroika, but he also went further than that and then gave the people the vote. As you rightly point out, the Chinese government continues to control history itself. So the extent of state control, with the Chinese government maintaining a more Stalinist grip uh, than the Soviet Union managed, and perhaps it's, it's, it's Gorbachev's curse that he disliked Stalinism, found it repellent, and had wanted to try and move the Soviet Union away from that Stalinist model and been unable by 1991 to do so. I wonder, and it it might be uh, difficult to envisage, but we have 15 Year 12s with us here, and I wonder if we could hear from uh, a couple of them, just their overall views as to why the Soviet Union collapsed. Any views on that? Well, I don't think you can say
1: there's any one factor that caused the collapse of the USSR. I think like, I think if you take into account the fact that the traditionalists in the party, the nationalist radicals outside, like Yeltsin, almost pinned Gorbachev and his reform making in, I think just the reforms themselves almost allowed like, these issues like um, resurgent nationalism to come to the fore, issues that had previously been oppressed with violence as it's the
0: taste in China. Yeah, thank you, Connor. Todd, what, what do you think caused the collapse of the Soviet Union? <clears throat> like Connor said, um, I, I don't believe it. it's just one
8: absolute factor that really caused the collapse. I feel like it was more of an effect, reoccurring effect from Lenin and his war communism that really hindered uh, Russia as well as um, Stalin and Ukraine and how six million people died around that. Era. Yeah. I also believe that not you cannot really just place one leader as the sole factor for the collapse of the Soviet Union because you know with an inch um, with such a country and like a government as big as the Soviet Union, it's really hard to really just say one factor. You know, you have to bear in mind that there are many
0: other factors
8: that really um, damaged Russia as well. Thanks, Todd. I think that's
0: fascinating. Richard Sack would call that the perfect storm. But what you seem to be describing is the fact that uh, the Soviet Union is a victim of its own history. By the time Gorbachev wanted to make these changes, well, essentially, people had, uh, had now had the opportunity to show that they had very little faith in the Soviet Union as he saw it. And as for Gorbachev, your second point, it seems to me that Gorbachev was really between two very distinct examples of opposition. On the one hand, he had the conservative communists of Gau's plan and the Politburo, who didn't like the, 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 the pace of the reforms. It's going too fast. And on the other hand, he had the resurgent nationalists, including Yeltsin, who said it's not enough. It's going too slow. So Gorbachev becomes the sort of, he finds himself between a rock and a hard place. How can any one man get out of that predicament, and sadly, or perhaps not, depending on your point of view, Gorbachev found himself unable to do so. And as we attempt to now draw the podcast to a close, it seems to me that this collapse of the Soviet Union had massive repercussions. The current president of Russia referred it, as I said at the beginning, as the worst catastrophe of the 20th century, and he has been doing his utmost to try and reverse some of the changes that took place between 1985 and 1991. How should we remember Gorbachev, in, in your opinion?
3: I think that we should remember him as almost like a brave man because um, the previous leaders of the USSR always like, hid behind their power and um, the privilege that they held as being the head of the USSR. I think that Gorbachev really put himself um, out there with the reforms and making him almost the enemy of so many different aspects of society showed that he was willing to make um, change for the Soviet people. I think that shows that he was brave in being able to put the country before himself.
0: I wonder if it then isn't a sort of terrible tragedy in a way that Gorbachev's reputation amongst those very people is not high today in, in, in Russia.
2: I'm not sure qu-
4: that quite matters, though, because t- he went on to win the Nobel Peace Prize. So even though he might criticize by his peers, you know, he's revered by the Western world. He's he's remembered, you know, at least in the West, as a towering presence of the 20th century. Yes, yeah,
0: but it's a tragedy, isn't it? In oh, the yeah, sense well. that you're, you're vilified in your own homeland, yeah. you know. For our readers, you should look up YouTube, Gorbachev, Pizza Hut, and, and you will see how much Gorbachev is admired in the West because of the changes he made to help him bring down uh, the Cold War to an end and, and generally being represented as a person who was fighting for freedom. Uh, but in the, the Russia and its periphery, not so much. And I think that to a large extent, as Jody was talking about in terms of how China has controlled its history, I think the Russian state has been quite successful to a large degree in controlling the narrative of what went wrong in the 90s and therefore that explains to a large extent the trouble that we're currently experiencing in Ukraine to a large degree. President Putin cannot complete his reversal in Ukraine on his own, he has his supporters in Belarus and indeed within Russia too. Um, thank you very much Year 12, that, that brings an end to the podcast. I wanna thank you uh, uh, for listening and I wanna thank each of my Year 12 contributors today, uh, including Miss Joseph, uh, for uh, their excellent and insightful comments. And it leaves just us to say, One final thank you to the production team, uh, Jacob, Mia, uh, Fabian and everyone involved with the uh, Year 9 newsletters and podcasts this year. We've enjoyed them very much and we're very grateful for the opportunity to present our own podcast to you. So a final goodbye from me. Uh, We hope to uh, have the opportunity to present another podcast in the future and a final goodbye from Year 12. Goodbye, everyone.